first reading is Acts chapter 16, verses 6 to 15. Paul and his companions travelled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, Come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. From Troas, we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace, and the next day we went on to Neapolis. From there we travelled to Philippi, a Roman colony and the leading city of that district of Macedonia, and we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Tharatara named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshipper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptised, she invited us to a home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. May your word live in us and bear much fruit to your glory. The second reading is Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 to 11. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart, and whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. To the glory and praise of God, may your word live in us and bear much fruit to your glory.
Good morning, everyone. Good morning, everyone. Well, today um, we are starting a look at this very short book, Philippians, but it's a potent book. It's a very potent book. How many of you have acknowledged Philippians as one of your favourite books in the Bible? Is that because it's short? (laughs) It's got some pretty amazing verses in it, hasn't it? Verses that uh, we all recognise, things that are pretty well known. Here's a couple of them. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say... Rejoice! That's it. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving... Present your requests to God and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. You know that one? I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. I could go on with other verses that are very familiar from this little book of Philippians. There's the ultimate one, though, which is the great hymn of Christ. In chapter 2, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Powerful. All those gems from this little book of Philippians. No wonder we're going to spend eight weeks here. Is that right? Uh, And I just want to warn you that Philippians 2, that great hymn of Christ, I'll probably come back to that most weeks, uh, because it really embodies the central theme of Philippians, that it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus and his call on our lives. And that is why we've called this series... Gospel call. Gospel call. Everywhere throughout Philippians, we experience a challenge to radical transformation. A gospel call. There's a lot about joy. There's a lot about suffering. How do those two things go together? There's also a lot about love and partnership and keeping on, keeping on. And there's a lot about giving. We're going to be focusing on these things over this series. But what I want to avoid, and this is for me personally, what I want to avoid with a passion is that this series just becomes another Bible series where I learn a bit more about a book of the Bible. I don't want that to happen without something else. I want this series to do something inside me that increases my gospel call to live radically differently for Jesus. That I become more open to him using me to impact others. More open to have an impact in Noosa, Tawanton and Sunshine Beach and Perigian and Umundi and even, please God, to have uh, a greater impact around the world because of my renewed commitment to thinking and acting globally. So I'm going to ask you, will you join with me in that commitment through this series? That it won't just be that we learn a bit more about Philippians. 
but that we actually make it a gospel call on our lives to be radically different. Can we do that? In the book of Philippians, Paul is talking about his circumstances, the everyday stuff of life that he had to contend with and how he contended with it. That's got to be good news, hasn't it? We deal with everyday stuff probably every day. But this is a very personal letter and we're privileged to be able to read it and to have a window into Paul's life and see his relationship with this church that he helped to find, to found. Now, here are some photos of Philippians, as it, of Philippi, as it is today. So let me tell you a little bit of the background about this place and this letter. Philippi is in the northeast of Greece and was founded about 400 years before Christ. Uh, it was named after Philip II of Macedonia. And get this, Philip II was the dad of Alexander the Great. It was conquered by the Romans in the mid-2nd century BC. And in 42 BC, just one generation before Christ, it became a Roman colony. And in many aspects, a kind of mini-Rome. It was ruled by Roman law and reflected Roman lifestyle politically, socially, and even architecturally. Paul came along and established the church at Philippi during his second missionary journey in about AD 50. And uh, we read some of that in Acts 16 earlier, and we'll read more about it next week too. It was very clear, uh, I hope you'll you'll have noted from that reading in Acts 16, it's very clear that God was directing them to go to Philippi, and some really exciting things happened there. We heard the story about Lydia today. She was a wealthy woman, an influential woman. She would have been the woman that bishops went to, to get their shirts, because she was a dealer in purple pop. Some of them were getting it. And after she became a Christian, it was her home where church was held. Another story, though, from, uh, from their time in Philippi was that there was a demon-possessed slave girl who would have earned a lot of money for her owners by being a successful fortune teller. She would have been right at home in the spiritual area of Yumundi, right at home. Anyway, in quite a funny story in Acts 16, which you've got to wait till next week for. Well, actually, you don't, because you can read it at home, can't you? Okay, so prepare for next week. Read the rest of Acts 16. But anyway, this girl frustrated Paul so much that he yelled at her, and he commanded the demon to come out of her in the name of Jesus Christ, and she was instantly healed. But they got thrown into jail because the owners were a bit miffed that their income had suddenly shrunk. So, uh, but did things quieten down when they were in jail? Not really. Not really. I hope you remember the story. There were more miracles there. There was praise and worship. There was an earthquake. There were doors collapsing. There was chains falling off. There was a, a guard ready to suicide. But no, he got converted. And then his family got converted. And then they were baptized. And they all became great friends. We'll read that bit from Acts next week. Now, I don't know about you, but if one of my trips around the world was that action-packed, I wouldn't forget it in a hurry. Would you? Those people would be burned in my memory and in my heart forever. And that's exactly what happened to Paul. 
He went back to Philippi, we find in Acts 20, and visited them again during his third missionary journey. Now, Paul is writing this letter to them around 60, 61 AD, so about 10 or 11 years after he, he was there the first time. And he's writing from prison, most likely in Rome, although it could have been Caesarea or it could have been Ephesus, whatever, that doesn't matter. He's in prison. So it's fair enough to assume that life's not real good at the moment. But Philippians is a joyful letter. In fact, Paul mentions joy 16 times in this letter. 16 times in four little chapters. Primarily, this is a letter to say thank you to the Philippians for the gift that they sent Paul, which Epaphroditus had brought to him on their behalf. Paul was overwhelmed by their love and their generosity and writes to say, thank you. Thank you for that. And he also, in that letter, strengthens their faith, which Epaphroditus had told them about. And he also shares with them that he wants to send back Epaphras now, who had become very ill because of the journey, nearly to the point of death. But he was assuring his friends back in Philippi that Epaphroditus would be coming home soon because he was getting better. Now, I reckon that the fact that Epaphroditus risked his life to come and see Paul was indicative of the love and the fellowship and the relationship and the high esteem that the Philippians had for Paul. The partnership that they had in the gospel was so evident. Their relationship was strong, it was loving, it was life-giving, it was encouraging. Now, as we think about what this letter might be saying to us today, I want to ask you some questions. Questions about you, questions about the world, questions about the church. So you don't have to answer me today, by the way. Just think about these things. Do you see the church, thinking broadly, having an impact in the world? Is your church, this church, our church, having an impact in the world? Would we be missed if we weren't here? Or is the world having an impact on us? Do you sometimes feel overwhelmed by the things that happen in your life? Just plain overwhelmed? Do you sometimes wonder whether your Christian faith is actually doing you any good? Well, if any of these questions raise issues that you're concerned about, I hope that Philippians might speak into them. And I hope that this first section gives you some insight. Firstly, that you are not alone. And you are not to be alone. In fact, there's a significant reason that church is church. And there's a significant reason that we are meant to do life in community. There is a gospel call, a significant gospel call to partnership. I hope you noticed in this reading today how many times Paul uses how many times Paul uses the words all of you. Did you notice it? 
verse 1, all God's holy people together with the overseers and the deacons. Verse 4, in all my prayers for all of you. Verse 7, it is right for me to feel this way about all of you. End of verse 7, all of you share in God's grace with me. Verse 8, I long for all of you with the affection of Christ. These people are in partnership together, even over the distance. And this partnership crosses the boundaries of leadership because, as we saw in verse 1, it's about all the people, including the leaders, the overseers and the deacons. It's obvious that this church, the Philippian church, was built as a collaborative community. People sharing life together, sharing leadership together, and sharing encouragement and love together. Partnership. What an example of a functional church. This is what the gospel call is. Partnership. Now what does partnership mean? Well, I thought about that. And I reckon partnership means shared ownership and shared responsibility. Would that be fair? Shared ownership and shared responsibility. Do you want to be part of a church like that? Do you want to contribute to making that happen? The gospel call of partnership with everyone. Well, this partnership between Paul and the Philippians also stood the test of time. Look at verse 5. Well, I'll start at verse 4. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from this from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. They were consistent. They were committed. They hung in there through thick and thin. And because it was a gospel call, do you see who it is that's at work in them? This is what makes it a gospel call. It's not Paul. Who is it? It's Jesus. He who began a good work in you. It wasn't Paul that brought them to faith. It was Jesus. You see, Jesus changes people. It's Jesus who calls them into this incredible and effective partnership that brings radical difference to their lives. The gospel changes people. In verse 4, Paul says, I always pray with joy. The Apostle John says a similar thing in his little epistle when he says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children, who are the people in his church, are walking in the truth. It's really interesting because I would say that if anyone had reason to be devoid of joy, it was Paul. I don't think any of us would rejoice at being in prison, would we? Or are you a bit old? I wouldn't. And yet there is something about Paul, something about his attitude, that is different. And I would say 
that is right. What is it that gives us our greatest joy? What gives you your greatest joy? Now, I'm not a mind reader, but I bet going through some of your minds at the moment is seeing my grandkids, seeing my family, getting out of the water. Nothing wrong with that. But there's also the possibility that you feel that a lot of the time your life is actually devoid of joy. Are you too busy, too hassled, too tired, too worried, too preoccupied to be joyful? Paul knew that his joy came from Jesus Christ and nothing else. Now I'm a nana now, and yes, it comes into my mind, oh, such joy seeing my grandkids. But if that gives me more joy than being with my Lord and sitting with my Lord, there is something wrong. And I say that boldly because these days I believe family is held up there as idols, replacing God for what should be the gospel's place in our lives. That's a challenge, isn't it? It's a huge challenge. Paul knew that his joy came from Jesus Christ and nothing else. That's why he could say from prison, I pray with all joy. And listen again to what he prayed for them. He was partnering with them in love. He prayed that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Paul had received their love and he knew that it came from their love of God. And he prayed that that love would abound more and more. But he didn't just use the word grow. He didn't pray that their love would grow. In the Greek, the word abound, it's really hard to describe, but it actually means superabound. To be excessive, to be superfluous, to be abundant with plenty to spare. Can you imagine being friends with people like that, whose love was excessive and abundant with more to spare, growing, growing, growing? Well, you could be friends with people like that if you prayed for them. If you prayed for them. Imagine what would happen if you prayed for your fellow Christians the same prayer that Paul prayed for the Philippians. Would you like it if people prayed it for you? I would love it. But let's look at the reason that he prayed that their love would be abundant with plenty to spare. It wasn't so that he'd have better friends. He prayed it so that they may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. What a prayer. 
So this kind of love, this super abundant love becomes more knowledgeable. He doesn't mean that he wants them all to become engineers and scientists and doctors. He wants them to grow in their knowledge of God so that they can live well. So that they can live well. You know why? Because the more you love God, the better perspective you'll have and the more joyful you'll be. And this prayer has the end in mind. He prays that they can discern what is best and be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. He obviously doesn't want people to be satisfied with spiritual mediocrity. But are we satisfied with spiritual mediocrity? He doesn't want the Philippians to be static in the middle of a sinful world. He wants them to bring glory to God in their lives. So do you want people to pray for you in that way? Do you need people to pray for you in that way? I would hazard a guess that for most of us, our prayer times when we get to them would probably be mainly focused on personal issues for ourselves or for our family, maybe our church, maybe a financial situation or our health or our employment. And I'm sure that crises around the world are right there in it. And these are all legitimate concerns for prayer. We know that God invites us to cast all our cares on him because he cares for us. But my question is, do those prayers have a gospel focus? Do they have a gospel focus? If we prayed about our finances or our employment, our health and our church, in a way that asked God that our love would abound and that we would be filled with the fruit of righteousness to the glory and praise of God, what do you think would happen then? And what do you think would happen to you as you would be the one praying for those things? Would that change you? And what do you think would happen to you as your brothers and sisters in Christ prayed for you in that way? And you prayed for them. Do you want to be part of a church like that? My friends, life in this world is hard. Comparatively speaking, life in this part of the world is easy. Incredibly easy, isn't it? Incredibly easy. But can I say, an easy life makes living as a Christian hard. Is that a fair enough comment? There is a gospel call that we are to heed. These first few verses of Philippians barely touch the surface. The next few weeks might not be quite so palatable. This is just a bit of a warning, like on the TV coming up, you know, a, content, a future content warning. <laughs> you see, the gospel call to partnership is a beautiful one. It's encouraging. It's full of love. But the gospel call is also multifaceted, multifaceted and there are other weeks to come. <laughs> But this week, what a great church we've learned about, hey? 
One where we've seen partnership with everyone, partnership that stands the test of time, partnership with love, super abundant, excessive love, which enables the partnership to grow. Please, Lord, may Noosa Anglican be a church like that. Amen.